G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon, and each episode I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. My guest today's journey has taken her from a 10-year-old fiddle player learning Spanish two-step to a storied side player for artists including the Texas Playboys and Billy Joe Shaver, who years ago encouraged her to pursue her talents as a singer-songwriter. Since then, she's released five acclaimed studio albums with her new record, To the Sunset, due out in August. While she's uncharitably likened her own voice to that of a goat, the quivering vibrato that characterises her singing is the perfect delivery for her songs of vulnerable resilience. Amanda Shires, welcome to my favourite album. I'm so glad to be talking with you today. Thank you. Tell me, Amanda, what is your favourite album? This question is one of the hardest questions ever, and I had to decide on my favourite. And so for this week and this month, I chose Songs of Love and Hate. That was Mercy. Songs of Love and Hate by Leonard Cohen. Although I did want to choose the latest one, um, You Want It Darker, but I chose the one that I chose because it was the first record of his that I heard. I step into an avalanche It covered up my soul When I not this hunchback that you see I sleep beneath the golden hill You who wish to conquer pain You must learn, learn to serve me well Okay. Well, let's get into that a bit then. Okay. you're like too young to have like heard this record when it first came out in 1971 Mm -hmm. so tell me like how did you get into Leonard Cohen what's your origin story how did he come into your life and how did this album come into your life um I guess when I was like 19 or 20 I was working at a record store in Lubbock Texas called Ralph's Records I was always putting his records away or you know straightening up in that area I don't know something about the cover of it made me want to put it on and so I put it on in the store and then then I was over it was done in the cover is quite arresting. I mean, like these days, album covers aren't something people pay as much attention to anymore, but it's quite, it's black and white, it's graphic, it's got big block print on it, and then it's sort of him looking quite wild and a bit sort of like like a young Jack Nicholson or something, and yeah. just sort of like with this huge, like menacing grin on his face. Yeah, and, and I think that I just, you know, I'd seen several of the record covers, but you know, I am one of those that does choose the books and the wines and the records based on their cover but you know that's not always a good thing but for me this one was it was a good thing it was really the first time that I found myself I guess drawn into the to the stories and the the details and the images and I just um you know the sparseness of it and then his voice it sounded like like what I what God sounded like in my mind I guess yeah God is a Jewish Canadian 
I don't know if he ended up Jewish or not, but I mean, yeah, I guess you are always Jewish if you're Jewish. I mean, it is quite sparse. It was like, for people who don't know, this album was recorded in Nashville with a small handful of players, including Charlie Daniels. Yeah, I um, I read somewhere that um, when he first moved to town that Charlie Daniels um, picked him up at the airport, and this was, you know, before Charlie Daniels, you know, did the Devil Went Down to Georgia stuff, and he played in this band, and um, I heard was a great bass player as well as fiddle player. I've never heard him play the bass in real life, though. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> and he's on, I think he's on Nashville Skyline, maybe, as well, the Bob Dylan record. He definitely oh, yeah, plays definitely. Some of that yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. That would be a good short film, I think, like Charlie Daniels and Leonard Cohen yeah. riding from the airport to Columbia Studio A or wherever they were. Yeah, going. yeah, yeah. The rain falls down on last year's man. That's a Jew's harp on the table. That's a crayon in his hand. And the corners of the blueprint are ruined since they rolled Far past the stems of thumbtacks that still throw shadows on the wood And the skylight is like skin For a drum I'll never mend And all the rain falls down amen on the works of last year's man Leonard Cohen and this record in particular has a reputation for being depressing and I, I don't want to assume that from your experience of him so how did this record actually make you feel did it did it sound depressing to you when you I can, to it? I can see how people feel like it wouldn't make... I think I can see how people would find it depressing. But I just find it... I find his writing just so beautiful and the, um, the truth in it so beautiful. You know, so many people are just hiding all the time. Act, I, not acting, but just hiding. And maybe that music might depress them, but for me, I find... Um, yeah connection or something like like camaraderie I guess because I mean I'm not scared to admit I get I get I have blue days you know and um even when I listen to it I feel like it has more of a calming effect than anything just to yeah calming I find it calming I can understand that I saw him perform in concert in Memphis at the Orpheum and he played three hours straight no opener it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my whole life did he play much material from this record no, because, you know, he didn't, um, shortly before this record, I guess, um, Judy Collins did, like, dress rehearsal rag and stuff, and there's a couple of songs that I've read in interviews that he just didn't get behind anymore, which I totally get, but, um, that doesn't really matter to me. He still wrote them. <laughs> and Famous Blue Raincoat, he did play. Yeah. It's four in the morning, the end of December. I'm writing you now just to see if you're better New York is cold but I like where I'm living There's music on Clinton Street all through the evening I hear that you're building your little house Deep in the desert 
You're living for nothing now. I hope you're keeping some kind of record. Yeah. That's sort of become the lasting, you know, for people who don't really know Leonard Cohen or like know him casually, that would be the one from this record that sort of like exists in the public imagination independently mm. from the album. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I don't know a lot of people that listen to Leonard Cohen, so I don't know. I don't know. I guess a lot of people might just take from that this song, that song. It's a genius song, though. So you don't have a lot of friends? You don't have a lot of like artistic friends who are big Leonard Cohen fans? Not that I can name. I mean, if they are, they haven't told me. <laughs> I guess, well, maybe it's like a private mm-hmm. relationship because he's not the kind of person, yeah. not the kind of artist where you're going to put... You know, you're not going to put this record on at a party or, like, we've all got the guitars out, let's play Joan of Arc Yeah, something. exactly, exactly. Um, I would at my party, and that's probably why I don't have parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about Flamers Brew Raincoat for a second since okay. you brought it up. The perspective on it, at least if you take it at face value, is it's one side of a love triangle mm-hmm. writing a letter mm-hmm. to the other side of a love triangle. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he finishes the song by signing it and like with his own name, so it's mm-hmm. re- it's quite tempting to take it as being like drawn from his own life because the last lyric is sincerely L. Cohen. Um, I feel like yeah, he signed it with his name, but definitely throughout, I, I feel like there's details that after like reading biographies and things that you can in his poems that you can see that he identifies with the char- all the characters, and at the same time has sort of like this omniscient narrator perspective too I don't know it's it's hard to explain but he does that to you do you think that's something you have to be able to if you're writing a song that you know even if this is only directly told from one person's perspective there are three characters within the narrative of that song do you think that's a requirement that you have to have empathy for all the characters that you're writing about I don't know I don't know if you I don't know I guess it depends on what you're going for because you can write a song however you want. I think for it to be a good song, it'd help. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I guess I forgive you. I'm glad you stood in my way. If you ever come by here for Jane or for me, well, your enemy is sleeping. This woman is free, yes, thank for the trouble you took from her eyes. I thought it was there for good, so I never tried. I love him so much. Ooh. Okay. Um, you can hear him whispering through the trees. There's actually a sign, like, opposite... I won't say where we are for obvious reasons, but opposite us, there's a sign that says Famous Blue Raincoat. I think that's who's they're doing a tribute on Friday. Isn't oh, right. that serendipitous that we're sitting here together? And that... I'm going to have to go to that and criticize it. Just, like, lob things from the front row. Like you guys don't even know what you're singing about. <laughs> As you toss chicken fried steak at them. Exactly. But he, he lived near here for a while in Franklin... Did he? Yeah. And so did this guy, Kid Marley, this rodeo guy. Anyway. Did you ever consider, like, when you 
we're moving to this this you know part of the state did you ever consider trying to find out where his house was and move in there i did but i thought that would be creepy i did run into (laughs) one of his backup singers though at the basement after i was playing a show one night oh one of the web sisters or no former backup singer yeah well i guess they're all former backup singers now no i mean pre pre death of leonard cohen my hero and yours too you still know it yet he is one of my heroes Maybe not my primary hero. John Prine has lots of good stories about him, too. But that would be, like, third hand if I tried to tell a John Prine story about him with Leonard Cohen. So I won't do that. Okay. (laughs) I'll say that when I have John Prine on the show. Right, right. Yeah. Four o'clock in the afternoon and I didn't feel like very much. I said to myself, where are you, golden boy? Where's your famous golden touch? I thought you knew where all of the elephants lie down I thought you were the crown prince of all the wheels in ivory town Just take a look at your body now There's nothing much to save And a bitter voice in the mirror cries Hey prince, you need a shave Okay, now I'm going to ask you about some, like, things that may or may not have happened. Okay. Um, did you once steal one of Leonard Cohen's old coat hangers from a venue? I didn't steal it. I was playing at a venue, and his family, or his, you know, made clothes in Canada, in Montreal. And um, it had L. Cohen on it, like, in gold lettering. And it was a beautiful hanger, and I thought it was his, because who else would have that? And so I took it, and, like, what, what if I ran into him? I would give it back. That was my thing. Like, if, if I run into him, I'll give him his hanger back for his busted raincoat. So were you just carrying it around with you? It's, just like it's still in my van. Mm-hmm. I need to get it out of the van. I don't know. You probably need to hang things in the Maybe van Maybe I need to get it, up, like, uh, what is it called when you... Authenticated, yeah. Oh, yeah. Take it to an antiques roadshow or something. Yeah, I will. I think Mike Wolf lives down the street somewhere. Okay. <laughs> um, so you got an MFA in creative writing a few years ago, or more recently than that? Last year. Last on, year. You know, I did my thesis on April 20th in London over Skype with my all my... What are the readers? I've, I see I've forgotten all the terminology now. <laughs> That's because... That's the question that I've been... Like, I'm sure you get, like, the very tiresome, like, how do you balance being a musician and a mother or blah, blah, blah. You get those questions, but I just don't know how you had time to do an MFA while being a touring musician and making records and being on the road all the time. Right. Well, I did the the MFA, and I was doing that to learn how to write better and get more tools for my toolbox. And um, I, I felt like I was writing songs, and most of it was based... Well, all of it was just in- instinctive writing, and I think it made it difficult for me to sort through what I liked and what I didn't like. And it also made it hard for me to figure out which directions I wanted to pursue. So I went to school, and I don't know, I'm just curious about language and words and origin, you know, even pre-vowel shift. I'm, like, all about words and how we got how, how our language evolves and becomes what it is that we use and speak every day it's just i'm just fascinated by it but anyway so i don't know it gets really boring when you're traveling from one venue to the next flying on planes there's so much time to just wait so 
had lots of time to read and write and if you enjoy it it's easy then I had mercy after my coursework so I had a toddler while I was trying to do my thesis took me an extra year because they don't tell you things about motherhood that that you need to know like that breastfeeding takes a lot of time and that um you might get robbed in Chicago and your thesis gets stolen I don't know now I'm rambling I did it and it's over well the connection back to what okay, we've been talking about, which is kind of circuitous, but um, your songwriting process, and I'm wondering how it might have changed subsequent to the doing that MFA, I wanted to try and connect that to Leonard Cohen's process, and I'll just read a bit of a quote um, that I found from him in, a, in an interview, which he said, I've always been interested in form, maybe because I don't trust my own spontaneous nature to come up with anything interesting, and form imposes a certain opportunity to get deeper than your first thought. So, like, he was someone who believed that, like, structure and, like, formal areas of language was helpful Mm -hmm. to his craft and to the process of songwriting, which didn't come easy Mm -hmm. to him. And he was a poet first, you know. So, I think that, like, even that, that relationship, my imaginary relationship with Leonard Cohen, like, the way I just accidentally landed into his music and then started doing research, I just identify with him even like every I feel like everything I mean he had stage fright for a while I had that for a while and then I would read stuff that he said about it and it somehow helped and the form thing I think is true but I think it also when was that quote from what year was that from that was 2006 I think really so he still felt that way that's awesome because I often wonder if if you don't get more confidence as you go or are we just Am I just another one that's just, you know, just always going to be questioning my work? But I feel like I don't do that as much now that I have spent so much time studying the words and the books and everything. It's easier to find what's wrong with your work when you have some kind of, you know, education or structure. Is it comforting to you at all how hard it was for him to write songs and how long a process it often was? Yeah, it makes me feel real good. Yeah, because I write a song slow too. It's amazing. My husband Jason Isbell can write a song in four hours, but he'll also sometimes have a part of a song he's been working on for two years. But just he's really good at just putting it away and coming back to it when he's ready to finish it. I'm not good at that. I'm just like I gotta finish it. Because Cindy Walker told me you have to finish them all so you can get to the next one. Right. Yeah. Do you, have you found that to be true? If you don't finish a song, does it just like hang around in your subconscious? No, because I think what she was trying to say was write 50 songs and then you might get better at songwriting. You know what I mean? I think in, in hindsight, I think that she was talking about that because when you're 19 years old and asking questions like that, I think she handled it right, you know? And I guess there is like, there's also a virtue to actually writing complete songs as opposed to just like you get excited about like a pre-chorus and a, yeah. and a chorus and then you can't write the verse so yeah. you never have that whole process yeah. of writing Isn't that the worst? You. When you're like, I got this awesome chorus and now what the hell do I do? <laughs> you just find someone who's like got some great verses. No, not co-writing. I guess you could <laughs> if, the, if, if you just completely gave... I don't know. I haven't done enough co-writing to know if that would work. Maybe it works. It probably works for a lot of people. Look, we're in Nashville. Do you actually... Cause I, yeah, I know you haven't... You've like written like the vast majority of your material solo. Do you actually have a, 
a bias against the idea of co-writing? Or no, you... not at all. Okay. I just don't know how you do it. I've done it a couple of times. I tried it with this guy named Rustin Kelly, and that was fun. And then I try it. Jason and I edit each other's work a lot, and then sometimes we write together. For me, I just think that I have things that I'm trying to work through or create, and that the, that I only can fully... The only way I feel fully great about it is, and satisfied with it is if I've done the work myself. And I don't know why. Just like mowing your own grass. That uh, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like this, the sense of accomplishment that, like, yeah, or just like the things you learn about yourself along the way. I don't know. I'd like to try it more with other folks, but I'd probably be really bad at it. I'm sure. I don't know though. I don't know. Maybe if it was with the right person. I mean, Leonard wrote a lot with Sharon. I think maybe it has to be with the right person. What do you think about it? I think even if you tried it with someone and it wasn't great to start off with, it might get better. Yeah. Because doing... I'm trying to think of, like, an, an analogous situation that's not, like, dating, which is, like, yeah. the only metaphor that comes yeah. to mind. But, like, if you've never been on... If you've, like, been on, like, two dates in your life mm -hmm. and then you, you start... You go on a date with someone, it might suck, but it might not be the... Going yeah. out with the wrong person, yeah. you might just need to go on more dates, or go on to go to a different place. Like, yeah, yeah. like maybe you pick the wrong environment. Or something. Yeah, like maybe you, because I know some people are like, they're like they're great. Like, at, I feel like I could write with Jim Lauderdale. Yeah, yeah, you should. He would be awesome. I'm not sure that it would come out with anything wonderful because I would fuck it up somehow. Well, let's let's just make let's that just happen. See, yeah. Yeah. Or I'm maybe sure. I wouldn't. Maybe it'd be great. I'm trying to be positive. Give it a shot. I'm sure Jim would love to. You know what would him. happen? Like if you got into a song co-writing, what what do you think would happen? Would you make a song up or would you just ask all your heroes questions all day? I would just ask them questions all day. I would feel guilty about doing that because <laughs> I would figure that they would if they came into a co-writing situation, they were probably there to get a song out of it. Oh, right. But see, I've heard stories of people going to co-writing sessions and all they do is drink coffee and then go drink beer. Yeah. Maybe sometimes that's what you need to do the first time just to get I'm glad that you have all this to cut out of your interview now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sometimes I just leave all the tangents in and yeah, all the like, relevant yeah. stuff gets yeah. cut out. I wish that I could buy you a drink And then Get you drunk and it get me out going all week or just this one night. Since we're talking about songwriting, let's talk about a song you wrote about Leonard Cohen. How's that for bringing it back around? I, I, I wrote a song for Leonard Cohen, and it's about how I, I wish that I could take him out and um, talk to him and buy him a cocktail or two, pretend like I was going to pay for it, and then pretend like I forgot my wallet so I wouldn't have to. Because at the time I wrote that song, I only had like nine dollars in my bank account so i was like if this is gonna work i'm like i can't afford it he probably drinks like scotch that's a thousand years old or i don't know anyway i mean he wasn't flushed with cash for a while well, well, too. that wasn't his fault 
But it was your fault that you didn't have much money? Well, I was I was young, and I just moved here. I think a lot of young people fresh out of college and student loans, you know, every, I don't know, most people, unless you came from a family with money, but I don't know what that is like, so now I got a little bit of money. I could afford to buy him something, and now he's dead. Thanks, Leonard. So, okay, going, going back to that <laughs> song, is that, if you could have had any experience with him, like, that's it's notably not a song about, like, let's go on tour together yeah. or let's do a duet or let's yeah. co-write it's about let's just I just want to hear you talk and hang yeah. out yeah yeah um, I guess because I, I feel like I don't know he's just wise enlightenment ask some questions you know it'd be cool just to hang out with him it does like I was reading a lot of interviews with him in the last few days mm-hmm. leading up to this and especially in his later years like maybe mm-hmm. the last 10 to 15 years of his life he does feel like he would just be like the ultimate just yeah yeah. like did you ever see or hear his isle of white performance yeah oh my god that's incredible like somebody that can do that i feel like truly knows a human soul or a human heart i don't know i I just i wanted i wanted to be around him and see what it was be like to know somebody that could do something like that 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 can see right through you and he had so much self-awareness as Mm -hmm. well like he was it's funny like a lot of even just his depression, mm-hmm. a lot of people of that vintage never got to the stage where they could characterize that as like I have a disease that makes the you know that makes me feel like that and perceive mm-hmm. the world in this way. But he was quite like mm-hmm. upfront about mm-hmm. that being what was motivating him mm-hmm. and actually getting its you know treatment for it at a certain mm-hmm. point. So yeah, you know, whereas a lot of people were just like I have demons or I'm like yeah. I'm driven driven by like the yeah. Knock myself out with whiskeys and wipe myself with yeah, coffee. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, yeah. No, you're like your brain sick. Yeah, no comment. Cool. <laughs> um, you did a cover of uh, Lenny Cohen's song that's not on this record. I'm your man for uh, Amazon Music thing not too long ago. Why did you choose that song? If you want a lover, I'll do anything you ask me to. And if you want another kind of love, I'll wear a mask for you. If you want a partner, take my hand. Or only want to strike me down in anger, here I stand. I'm your man. I liked it coming from the perspective of a woman. I thought that would that was fitting. Yeah, I like. There is something interesting about that, especially like not changing the pronouns yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah, because why not? Because it's really just kind of like a a throwaway thing people say anyway, or used to say. You need somebody to come over and help you mow the grass again. I'm your man. I mean, I guess, I guess it just made sense that a woman could say it like like offhand. So why couldn't she sing it? Did she co-write on that one? Oh, she co-wrote. Sharon co-wrote. Everybody knows. No, nope, just that one. Yeah, everybody knows. And then, song. but um, no, he wrote "I'm Your Man" solo. And the sli- the single sleeve art for that is very entertaining photo of him with a half-eaten banana. Yeah, that's not that's that's not the real cover. It's not for the album for the single. Oh, they put that on there. That's good. But that that's a Warhol reference anyway. 
I would, I would imagine so. Yeah. It's, I, I like it. It's like, it's m- mainly black and white, but it's about as far away from the songs of love and hate cover as you can get. Yeah. It's like wearing sunglasses indoors. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. That's his best song. I think. That's how. No, it isn't. Yeah. You think that's his best song? Yeah. No. No. Why not? No, there's just nothing. There's for me. It's it's not. It's not Joan of Arc, and it's not Avalanche, and it's not. You know, even Hallelujah. It's not any of that. That can't be. That's not his best song. It's a it's a it's a fun song if you like kind of like a. See, I'm like big on really depressing songs that are also funny. Okay. It's probably why I like Father John Misty's new record so much because it's yeah. incredibly depressing and also yeah. quite funny, and. No, I've finally Leonard Cohen's. Okay, this is actually. Let's talk about. I this. love Father John Misty too. Yeah. I do. The er- earlier stuff, especially the stuff on songs of love and hate, I find reading the lyrics like as poetry, which I do reasonably often, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy that experience. Mm-hmm. It's quite a different experience for me to listening to the record, which I find really heavy and really intense mm-hmm. and quite hard to mm-hmm. do unless I'm in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I couldn't really hear that last part of what you said. Okay. Um, I find that reading the lyrics to the songs on uh, Songs of Love and Hate, like as poetry, is a very different experience to listening to the record. I find listening to the record, even though it's the same songs, it's the same lyrics, it's much more intense and sort of dark and like there's a bit kind of like mood it's like being having your head underwater or something and I need to be in the right headspace for that what does a voice in your brain read like I wonder is it a cheer, cheerful cheerful reading no, of, of poetry still, I probably I'm probably imagining I'm probably hearing in my head like the sort of older twinklier Leonard Cohen reading them like 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 you know when poets read poetry they have like a poet voice that you have to put on and do your poems is that is that it I mean, you know, that's that's the difference in reading and hearing a song, I guess. Reading a poem or hearing a song or reading a song and hearing the song. A, a lot a lot of the mood is, is, is defined by the way the person sings it and produces it. I don't think it's depressing at all. You love that it's depressing, don't you? You love it. I don't know. It's just like... He called himself the most depressing, miserable, whatever, to... So I guess it's okay that you say that. Yeah. By the way, I do think it is particular to this record. And a lot of it is even just like those, you know, guitar figures. It's just this descending guitar figures. is like, oh, my God. But even nothing like, good's happening here. But the, I, I guess why I like Joan of Arc, because um, to, think about, to think about a woman, you know, considering something different in one line, you know, you know that, or two, like the part about the dress and then the being tired of the war and all that or whatever. I'm not quoting it right because I'm sitting here with a microphone in my hand. She said, I'm tired of the war. 
I want the kind of work I had before A wedding dress or something white To wear upon my swollen appetite I find it more more inspiring and exciting than depressing because I think I think of I think of the depression after the art, you know. Well, yeah, I mean that is. So, would, is that your pick for his best song? You mentioned that in Avalanche a minute ago. I mean, Avalanche is insane. I, it'd be hard to pick one best song because I love what he did with Take This Waltz. It'll take me a minute to decide. I don't know. I'm really into that Anodyne song that he did. Is it Anodyne or Iodine now? Shit. Iodine is a Jim Lauderdale song. Yeah, that one. Uh, yeah. It's a different person that sings about anodyne. That's a, a Sunvolt, right? I think so. I can never understand what in the hell Sunvolt's singing about. I just make up words. I wonder if anyone's ever, like, written... Someone must have done this. Like, started with a song where they couldn't understand what someone was singing. But I absolutely write love Write new it. lyrics and yeah. then turn that into a new song. I'm, I, people do that all the time. That's some, some people's way of, of, of finding a new song when they fame creative or writer's block you know everybody's looking for an exercise out of reader's digest to do to write a song there's some more of my comments yeah (laughs) that are not helpful (laughs) should we talk about steely dan oh we should not you thought that it could never happen to all the people that you became Your body lost in legends The beast so very tame But here Right here Between the birthmark and the stain Between the ocean and your open vein between the snowmen and the rain Once again Once again Love calls you by your name So, uh, Leonard Cohen obviously passed away a couple of years ago. Do you remember finding that out or the experience um, of that? I was in Utah, and I'd been following the progress for a few days, and I thought it, I thought he was in the clear, and then the inevitable happened, and um, I just cried forever. Yep, and then um, bought a ring with a snake on it and uh, drank a lot. And tried to play a show, which I think went went okay, but I can't really remember because I feel like that whole week was a blur. Yeah. 
And now maybe sometimes I like to think hilarious things, like um, because of his, because he was so zen. Like when I'm out in the garden, I'm like, okay, do you you really want to kill this Japanese beetle? Maybe it's Leonard Cohen. (laughs) (laughs) He did say um, if he could be, like someone asked him about reincarnation at one point later in his life, and he said if he could come back as anything, it would be his daughter's dog. Yeah, probably treated it really well. Yeah. <laughs> and probably just to see joy in, in his daughter's eyes, that'd be pretty good. I wonder if he meant why, at, at the exact same time, his daughter had the dog, too. Like, or was he thinking of it? All like, right. was he, how was he considering time, is what I would wonder. Because I assumed it was come back as his daughter's dog, because, like, then he would have his daughter bestowing, like, unconditional mm-hmm. love upon him and, like, mm-hmm. rubbing his neck. And, and then he could also see her. Yeah. And always super happy or whatever. I don't know. Hopefully she's happy to see the dog. But then what if he just yeah, met as the dog? Like the dog? She hated the dog. Yeah, exactly. For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> she's like some kind of masochist. Yeah, dude. yeah. But if he brought back as his daughter's dog now, I mean, where would that dog be? Because I don't know if you get the feet to choose where you reincarnate to. I think his <laughs> daughter got rid of the dog? I don't know. <laughs> what if it's dead too? Now it's getting darker. That's tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if maybe you should have picked, like, two things. Mm-hmm. Or just said the time, the daughter's dog, 1976. This I don't is know. turning into quantum leap. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Hypotheticals and speculations on Leonard Cohen's phrasing, syntax, yeah. meaning. How has he been an influence on your writing? I guess in the way that he's so precise. Like, every word carries... It has meaning. Like, it, it, it's not just like you're filling in for syllables or like it's so tight. What's the song on This Love and Hate one where he uses all the prepositions? It goes like between the mountain, between the peanut and the. What's it called? Love Calls You By Your Name. Yeah, that one. That one I think is really awesome. Because that's, that's sort of a form that I don't even know. I don't know much about how he came to write that song. And then the chorus is so different from the verses. I don't know. I just think I think that that's interesting. So he's so good at it. That I, I had to go to school and figure out how to be better at it. Well, he had to write poetry for ten years before he could write a song. I don't so. even think he had to. He just liked to. I think he could have probably just sat around and been a bum, but he didn't. I'm just saying he came from a family with some money, so. Yeah, could just smoke cigarettes and drank old fashions in Greece for the rest of his life. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, maybe for him, less so for us. Yeah, swimming every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad he didn't do that. Uh Uh-uh. Me too. Amanda. Yes, sir. Thanks for talking to me today. Hey, thanks for putting up with me. I (laughs) hope some part of this was useful. Wish wish more of my guests ended with that. Like, (laughs) thanks for putting up with me. (laughs) Yeah. It was true. Well, that's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. 
Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.